stepping back and stroking two. Bogdanovich thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! See it again. No double team help and Embiid takes it right to the rack. What's going on, everybody? Got a brand new episode of the feed to Embiid this week. I have my guy, uh, Trill Bro Duty. I call him TBD. He also has an AK. He has like a, 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 a name that no one really knows about, but it's Porter. He goes by. It's just a, it's just sort of a well, not, not a nickname, but it's sort of like a an ambiguous, an ambiguous sort of, I guess, nomer. That's right. Yeah. No, I, I go by many names. Even on my own podcast, I just started going by Trill because it's just easier to go by what everyone on Twitter calls me. So just call me Trill and and that's good. Or TBD. That works. Too. There, you go. there you go. Well, TBD, uh, you, you, um, it sounds like you probably enjoyed yesterday's game. That's right. That's right, baby. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I have been known to be somewhat of a a doomer in the past but uh this year i think the sixers have kind of changed my outlook on everything um i don't know dude like i just got a good feeling about this team uh the vibes are impeccable um and yeah no i mean like you're always gonna have a section of sixers twitter that bitches about literally everything all the time so it's been good recently to kind of even the games that you would think that they would lose in the past they're just they're winning they're winning the ones that they used to give up so so there's there's nothing but positive vibes on my end right now that's right that's right i i i don't really have any kind of like vibe i just sort of have like a i i, I get the sense that 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 this year is just different it's something about this season is different i guess that's i guess that is what a vibe is but i i, yeah. get, I get the sense but um, we're gonna dive into yesterday's game, obviously. Um, the and and I, when I wrote my my game story on it, I initially published it with uh, Sixer, uh, Tobias Harris and Embiid allow uh, help Sixers overcome officiating. So it sounded like I was <laughs> sounded like I was blaming the refs, which I was at the time, and then I kind of like re- reworded it because I knew what it sounded like. But I was like jarred by the officiating yet not only yesterday but just across the league um what do you what what did you feel like that those fouls were, were ridiculous yesterday on, on NBA yeah I, did. I mean i'm not i'm like the furthest thing from a blame the refs dude like i mean they make mistakes like it, it is what it is i i think that ben simmons probably more so than any other player on the team maybe other than shake milton tends to get the worst whistle um in general, I feel like the the refs are pretty fair to Embiid. They they let him be physical down low, um, and he doesn't get a lot of calls, but he also gets a lot of ticky tack calls sometimes. So I think over the course of the season, it kind of balances itself out. But yesterday there was just so many absolutely bullshit calls, and like it's the playoffs. Like like fans already are have complained about NBA officiating for years. And it was really brought to a height during James Harden's peak, which, you know, James Harden's an amazing player. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, when it comes from a watchable product standpoint, no one wants to watch basically the refs 
in involving themselves in the game. And I felt like we just got a lot of that this weekend. Uh, but overall, like you said, they overcame some poor officiating. Um, and there were, I would say the majority of the bad calls were against the Sixers, but there were also some bad calls against sure. the Wizards. So, sure. so ultimately, I'm just, as a fan of the NBA, I just want to see them involve themselves less. And I know that's ironic coming from Sixers fans when Joel Embiid is, uh, you know, leading the NBA in, in free throw attempts. But if you watch the games, the majority of them are, are fouls. He is an unguardable player, very similarly to, to James Harden. And obviously Trey Young this year has been uh, really embellishing that as well. But uh, another fantastic player that, that also tends to get a, li- a little bit of a, a, a decent whistle, I will say, from the refs. Yeah, for sure. I, I just think for like, the one thing that I judge officiating on is is this call by the book. Like, like people get all upset about like the the, the closeout tech, uh, tech, flagrant foul and the shooter. Like, no, like I get that. That that's like by the books. That that's fine. Like, like whatever. Yeah. But if 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 they decide to just randomly call that during a playoff game when they haven't been calling the same player for that same call all year long, it's like, well, why would you start now? Like, just, like, this is like the wrong time to start picking up on those fouls so i thought like like there were a couple of, of those yesterday where they called Embiid for fouls that like okay that's a foul sure but he does that all the time and never gets called for it so you're picking this arbitrary moment and a really critical point in the postseason to to make that call um but like the ones that i can't stand are like the ones where he's barreling down the lane and a guy just comes up out of nowhere will set the last very very last second and then it not, gets knocked over by him because basically what, what the officials are saying is you can't come barreling down the lane and basically play the way a, a seven foot guy is supposed to play because right. if you hit anybody and make contact, you're so big that we have to call the foul. That's not his fault that he's that big. That's the way he has to play the game. Yeah. And also like, I, I don't know if you watched the Celtics Nats game the other night, but a perfect example of this was the the play that Marcus smart, who, is you know very similarly to Kyle Lowry and and Ursan Ilyasova, one of the the guys that is best at taking charges in the NBA. Fantastic defender, but at the same time, who wants to watch that? Like is like like Kevin Durant comes barreling down the lane that there's so much risk for injury. It's not an enjoyable product. Like I just think that it ultimately the, the overcalling these kind of charges is just rewarding bad defenders a lot of the time. Now Marcus Smart is the ex- is, is the exception there because he's a fantastic defender, but at the same time, like Bradley Beal yesterday, like Bradley Beal is not a good defender, and yeah. in that situation, all he can do is really do that. And I just think that like if you're gonna call that, like you said, have it you know have it be applicable across the board. And if it's a playoff game, like just let that shit fly. Like it's, I just don't think it makes for an enjoyable product. And even if it was the other way around, I would think that, uh, you know, I, I don't want those kind of the, those fouls caught. And I don't want guys rewarded for just not defending their guy basically. Yeah. yeah and I agree with that. Like, and I, I try to like call it both ways. Like I tweeted out during the game, I, I tweeted out like, that was a bullshit call on how like he should not have been called for a, for a technical. He clearly got fouled on the closeout, and he expressed this this you know discontent because he was rightfully fouled. Like, he was it was an obvious call, and then you show him up by like teching him up for it. But enough about officiating. Um, ben Simmons yesterday has a 15 assist, 15 rebound. I think he had one or two turnovers in the game, but he had six points. 
And as we've come to learn in, with this fan base and in this city, it all gravitates towards the fact that he missed six free throws, which by the way, they were not, not a single one of those six. Like it wasn't a toilet bowl. It was like, it was, he wasn't close to the, to the, yeah. to the landing spot. They were not, not a single one of them was even remotely in the right vicinity of the basket. Um, he misses all six pretty badly, um, but he was still, you know, you can, you can, you can, you know, talk about second or third best player in a game or whatever. He was still an immensely impactful player in that game. What did you, what did you see from Simmons and where do you f- kind of fall in the spectrum of that? Um, I mean, I, I think Ben's like an amazing player. I do like, but at the same time, I understand both sides. I, I don't know if you listen to rights to Ricky Sanchez, but oh, yeah. I'm kind of, yeah. Okay. I'm kind of in the Mike Levin, Ben Simmons centrist standpoint. Um, you know, I think ultimately this team, and I said this on my podcast too, this team is going to go as far as Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris take them. Because I think that you're going to get what you get out of Joel Embiid. I think at this point he's proven that he is a dominant force that needs to be dealt with. And the role players are going to be the role players. One game, you're going to get a great game out of Shake Milton. One game, you're going to get a great game out of Danny Green. Like they're role players for a reason. Ultimately, what can take this team to the next level and raise their ceiling is the play of Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons. Now, what I saw for Ben yesterday was, like you said, setting up teammates, making hustle plays, a fantastic defense on Bradley Beal, especially down the stretch. Incredibly crucial, impactful play from him. But at the same time, like you said, six points. Ben tends to have these games where he just has zero touch regardless like it's like a streaky shooter but he doesn't shoot so it's kind of hard to really tell when he's having these games but like there were moments there was a moment in I believe it was in the third quarter where Ben got a rebound after he blew his own shot and then blew another put back like yep Yep. he, he tends to have these games where his touch is just completely gone and it tends to in the past, I will say, I think it affected other parts of his game and it and it kind of put him in this mentality that he basically, you know, if he wasn't scoring, he wasn't affecting the game positively. Whereas now I think he can affect the game positively without scoring. But if we want to beat Milwaukee, if we want to beat Brooklyn, if we want to beat any of the contenders in the West, Ben needs to be more consistent with his scoring and he can't have 0 for 6 like shooting. Like he just can't have 0 for 6 from the line ever. And ultimately... He's a max player. He's an all-star. And you, it's fine if you hold him to that standard. But I I think what I've kind of come to the conclusion with Ben is, like, I've kind of accepted him for who he is. Like, all the things that I said. He's basically the Draymond Green of this team. Like, he's going to do all the little things. He's going to be a fantastic defender. He might not technically be as impactful because he doesn't protect the rim. But he do, he is essentially, like, a wing version of what Draymond does. Yeah which is what this team really needs if everyone else can continue to step up their game and he can be a little bit more efficient with the shooting and the scoring. So ultimately we won, like Ben was fine. Like, you know, like he, if he has these games in the Eastern conference finals, when assuming they get there, then I'll be concerned. But for now, I mean, I'm just, I'm not really going to lose sleep over, over this. Yeah. I mean, I think like where I am in all of this is, and, and I feel like I, when I, whenever I'm tweeting about Ben, I like think to myself, am I fanboying Ben too much? And then I, I but like when it comes back to for me is there's such a negative 
tone and a negative sentiment about him, not just from fans who are casual fans, but people in the media, like Joe Giglio tweets today. Uh, a lot of people in radio are like that. Um, and I feel like to be fair to the guy, you have to portray the positives, which there are a lot of positives about his game. So you ultimately have to be overly positive about him to, to draw you know, the, the sentiment in a more of a, of a fair balance. Because right now it's Ben can do no right for most people. And as a, you know, as, as, a, as someone who writes about the team and covers his team, I, I feel it's a responsibility to try my best to sway that in a more positive tone to accurately reflect the player that is Ben Simmons. Yeah, uh, I think that's fair. But yeah. I also think, I also think that as, as we know, there are certain outlets and there are certain, journalists that are brand building essentially and there's a large section of the fan base that hates ben simmons and there's a large faction like you said that will believe that he can never do anything right and as long as those fans exist those media people will exist and i I try not to take any of it too personally just because i think that people tend to live in the moment a lot they're very reactionary ultimately ben simmons was almost traded for uh multiple time mvp well should have been multiple time MVP. I think he made only one at once, but was almost traded for James Harden earlier this year. And, you know, there was obviously a lot to that. There would have been other things going out, but I think he is valued around the league. Coaches vote him as an all-star every year. I think it means means more that that, that the coat that he gets selected as a reserve, because I mean, for, for, for God's sakes, like, uh, uh, Zaza Pachulia almost made this almost made it as a starter one year. Because yeah. fans' votes almost got him in, so the, oh, the- Derek Rose every year is yeah. like towards yeah, yeah. the top, and that was before he had this really great second half of the season this right. year. Which, by the way, like the the plus minus of him in the lineup is insane for the for, for the Knicks. He's been awesome. He's been awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, it, it, I think that means more that the coaches see him that way because it, it's a it's an it's the, the best minds in theory have the most you know, see the value in him. And I think it reaffirms what a lot of people believe, but you know, I, I do agree with you. I think that like, like I, I, you, there can't be any like six points, five rebounds, four assists games in the playoffs. I can't, you can't hang your hat on, Oh, but he held so-and-so to three of 11 shooting. Like that's great, but you need more production on the offensive end. I don't care if he averages five points a game in the playoffs, if he's dishing 14 assists, 15 assists a game. Like This isn't going to happen every night with him, but if he's having that much of an impact in terms of generating points, Doc says it all the time. It doesn't matter where it comes from, I don't think. And it's funny because he's kind of really leaning into the whole tall Rondo thing, right? I mean, this is such a Rondo, early Rondo stat line who Doc coached when he was in Boston. So he is definitely used to this now. The major difference being that Rondo was playing with three Hall of Famers. And also, in addition to that, it, it basically comes down to how will teams game plan around this later in the playoffs? Because if Ben is going to be that passive guy who only wants to set up his teammates and doesn't even look at the rim to score, he's going to have essentially zero scoring gravity and teams are going to say, beat, beat us one-on-one, beat us with your post moves, beat us getting down to the hoop because he can't shoot. And they will essentially game plan to stay on their man and, and cut off those passing lanes that Ben takes advantage of. So I could see it being a problem later in the playoffs, but in the first two rounds against the opponents that we're going against, I'm just really not too concerned. And he's having a positive impact. Even, even in the series that he has struggled, 
uh, the Celtics and the Raptors specifically, who were, by the way, much better defensively than the teams that the Sixers will be facing potentially all the way up to the finals if they make a run to the finals and the Nets are in the Eastern Conference finals. I think that he did have at least a neutral impact on some of those games when he might have struggled as a scorer. Um, and I think that Doc, with the shooting and the way that Doc has been using Tobias and Ben and Embiid, that they'll be able to mitigate a lot of the things that that he struggled with in the past. And I, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about really any of our top guys at all. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Um, but I will say, like yesterday, a couple of plays where like Ben does the thing. This is the only thing about him that drives me crazy. He gets the middle of the lane and then just like it's like the controller dies on him and he just like starts hitting. Yes. He pivots out and like passes. I'm like, dude, you have a dunk. Just 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 take one more step. And go. Yep. Or I mean, even just like the Ben having like a floater game or Ben having some sort of post game that doesn't involve him just posting up a smaller guy. Even just like getting better with his handle. Like there's so many little things that I feel like Ben could continue to improve on uh, that he hasn't really improved on that, that much since his rookie year offensively that I feel like he, he could be a much more effective player. And a lot of that comes back to him being the point guard versus do you have a more traditional point guard? If they had traded for Kyle Lowry and Ben is used in that dribble handoff motion that he, he does with Seth, or if he's being used as a screener and a roller and the things that we've seen from him in the past. I mean, I always bring this up on the podcast. We might've even talked about it before, but that game against the Nets last year, where it was basically like Hal Neto and him destroying Nicholas, Nicholas Claxton, who is a, who we might face off against in the Eastern conference finals and being very effective in the half court. And, and, you know, we know that there's more to his game. We, we just really need the, I feel like we really need the guys to unlock it. Yeah. The, the, the Neto Ben Simmons uh, uh, slaughterhouse is, is exactly <laughs> how everyone drew it up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, Shaq and Kobe, Neto and Simmons, like in our minds. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Neto's throwing oop to bed and then Ben's pointing up at, the, at, at, the, at his kid up, up, up in the corner of the stands. Just like, right. Yeah. That's how we all, all remember it. That's right. Um, so Tobias Harris. Um, what a game. And I, I have a feeling that he's going to have like one of those a series, but not a game where he's like, oh, this guy was the MVP of the series. Because I felt like yesterday and the Wizards like, I thought they did a terrible job of adjusting to it. They were switching a lot. And with their three-guard lineup, which I think you're either going to see it again, but have them play it differently or just have them just get rid of it all together. They were – I mean, he, it was just like hunting season. He was getting right where he wanted every every single time. They were running, they were running like little pin-down actions for him uh, with horn sets and whatnot. But he was getting anything he wanted around the rim, and that sort of bled into the rest of his game. He was fabulous in, in, in that game yesterday. Yeah. Oh, my God. He was unbelievable. And I think that there's two elements to it. What you said about the fact that Washington is – runs this switch heavy defense without the personnel to really run a switch yeah. heavy defense. It's very confusing. Um, I don't really understand how you could start three undersized guards. Um, not that, you know, Bradley Beal small by any means, but the majority of those guys, you know, Westbrook, Neto, even Ish Smith, when he comes off the bench uh, are not guys that you want to have up against a, a Sixers team, especially when Tobias is switch hunting and looking for those mismatches, which, 
he apparently did that a lot in LA. I didn't watch a ton of Clippers Tobias, but from what uh, my, my friend from Twitter, rich homie Flom, Rob Flom, who's a Clippers Raider told me that was like one of the main things that, that Tobias did that season that he was so effective at was just basically that LeBron switch hunting that you see every single game. And the, the wizards are just not going to have an answer, especially if, if Ruby Hashimura is their only big wing defender, he's not, that guy at least yet defensively uh to be able to kind of hold his own weight against Tobias if he's going one-on-one against him any of the guards are going to be are going to be absolute food against Tobias because of his size and his quickness and his ability just to get to his spots like I, I, he has really become an absolute master getting to his spots hitting it from the mid-range and honestly to me the most impressive part of his game yesterday was was the playmaking I I think that I I I continue to be impressed. I think he's kind of an underrated playmaker. Like, I don't think that anyone would confuse Tobias Harris for Luka Doncic. But at the same time, like, he can effectively run the pick and roll. He has a very high assist to usage ratio. Like, he's like in like the 73rd percentile, I think, for wings in terms of like his usage isn't in the thirties. It's somewhere in the low twenties and he's still continuing to set up his teammates. I thought it was fantastic yesterday. He was, he was making a lot of simple, easy reads that, you know, I don't think he would have made last year and it's all being opened up because of his scoring. It kind of goes back to the thing we were talking about with Ben, like basically the scoring opens up the passing and vice versa. And he's really been able to take advantage of that. And I just couldn't be happier for him. He's such a good dude. And it's awesome to see him kind of getting getting over those, uh, maybe those playoff demons from last year. Yeah. And it's fascinating. You use, you mentioned the assist to, uh, to usage ratio. It's actually a really good, really good value that I hadn't quite thought of because I, I, I usually use assist to turnover. So I think that it sort of indicates like, like how effective you are with the ball in your hand sometimes. For sure. Um, but assist to usage, I think is actually a really, it's a fascinating one um, because it's definitely something that they value too, because a lot of the guys in the George Hills, another guy who has a very good assist to usage ratio, like just like doesn't need the ball a ton, but when he does, he can just set guys up and like find guys. And then also assist to turnover ratio is, clearly like has been the gold standard in the past and Tobias doesn't really turn the ball over nearly as much as he used to. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, and just because of the, the efficiency, I think people think so much highly, so much you know, higher of Tobias this year. Um, if you can, if you like go to basketball reference and you go back like the last season, a lot of the numbers like that, that we think are career highs this, this season, you're like, Oh, they're actually a second fiddle to, Oh, last season. It's like, like his assist turnover ratio, I think was better last year than it is this year. So, right. a, so a lot of the things it, 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 you're, you're kind of like, really? I, I, th- when did that happen? And you're just sort of like, yeah, it's, it's part of it is, I, I think this is where sometimes stats can be a little bit misleading. Um, and I kind of use like the analogy to like football where it's like, Derek Carr has a very low interception ratio and like touchdown to interception ratio. And you're like, Oh wow, Derek Carr must be a really good quarterback. And I'm like, well, he doesn't really take risks. And sometimes, I mean, I think Ben Simmons is a perfect example of this. His assist to turnover ratio isn't fantastic, but as a passer, he's willing to make passes that other guys might not be willing to make. And I think Tobias's aggressive nature as a scorer has also made him a little bit more aggressive as a passer. And that might lead to more turnovers, but it also could potentially lead to lead to more assists and setting up his teammates to score. So 
a lot of the times there might be some noise in these numbers, but like it, just from the eye test alone, I think it's safe to say that he is better as a playmaker this year. And that also might be related to his scoring just because, yeah, maybe he's not, maybe he's not turning the ball over as much, but he's also not settling for poor shots at the end of the shot clock. He's not forcing anything as the scorer. And that might make it so that he's able to be more efficient as an overall offensive player. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a good point. And I, you, you drew the comparison um, like to like the quick decision-making and that he got away from that last year. Yes. If you, if you watch like just highlights of him from, from right after the Sixers traded for him, a lot, some of that playmaking was there still. It was yep. because the old doc river stuff hadn't quite been like erased from his repertoire. <laughs> so he was yeah. still, like playing well. Um, yeah. He didn't have the men in black thing where they just, yeah. <laughs> like, Brett Brown had that in the locker room and was just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, but I mean, like he's making a lot of plays where he'll get right into the middle of the, of the lane and then he's kicking to his shooters. And so like, yes. he was setting up guys a lot yesterday and he wasn't just like, like, like settling last year. It was a lot of settling for like these little seven foot, eight foot, like floating shots that were just well off the rim this year. He's like, I'm getting to the rim. I'm getting to my, my floater. That's just big on floater. I'm shooting from the outside or I'm kicking to my guys. And yep. I think his playmaking has been one of the more underrated parts of his game. I think he's averaging, I know he's averaging a career high in assists this year. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And his usage ratio is definitely similar to what it was, uh, if not a little bit less. I don't know. But he, I mean, this is what the Sixers have really, have really lacked. I mean, we saw it for half a season with Jimmy Butler and we almost made a finals run. And now you're seeing Tobias really take a leap as a scorer, playmaker, defender that. I don't think that anyone really saw coming. Uh, I especially didn't. I mean, I I thought that he would be better this year, but I didn't think he would be like all-star production, borderline all-star in reality. And I, I mean, like I said, couldn't be happier for the guy. I, I think we, we talked about potentially like talking about like adjustments that Washington can make. Yeah. And I just don't think there are many. I just don't think they have the personnel to match up with him. Like we saw Jason Tatum put up 50 on him last week because he's a similar type player to Tobias Harris. You know, he's a, a little bit better than Tobias overall, but I, I just think that they really struggle with these big scoring wings that can get to their spots and, and make, and make them pay. Yeah, for, for sure. So I'm thinking about game two and I, my guess is they're probably going to stick with the three guard lineup because they. Because Scott Brooks is an awful coach. That too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love the quote yesterday. Where he was like, "It's not about the size, you guys. It's about heart." Okay, and you're just like whatever that means. You're just like you're just like I bet Russell Westbrook just eats that up. Like, he oh, just, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I I think he's like NBA Michael Scott. He just kind of just kind of goes with wherever the thoughts are going. And he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to, this sounds good. I'm going to say this. And you're like, this is just a total crock of shit, but. <laughs> For sure. Um, so my guess is that they're probably going to go with Rui uh, on Tobias, which right. I think that poses a more physical uh, matchup for him. And maybe he's not as efficient, but I generally think he's going to probably have a couple on him in the weight room. Um, yeah. So, 
I would, I, I mean, I still like that opportunity for Tobias. I don't think it's going to come as easy as it did to yesterday. Yeah. I mean, they're, it's definitely going to be part of the adjustments in the game plan for game two, but ultimately if you watch that Celtics Wizards game, like I think that he'll have a lot of similar success drawing Rui into fouls in the same way that Tatum did. Um, once Rui was in foul trouble, he really couldn't, I believe he, he had three fouls in the first half and like Tobias isn't, I mean, Tatum isn't either, but Tobias isn't like a, you know, an excellent foul drawer, but if half of the times he was fouled yesterday were actually called, then uh, I think it's going to be a very long day for whoever is defending him. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Washington's three guard lineup. I, I think it's hilarious uh, that how Neto goes from like a starter from like a, a six man or whatever it was on, on, on the six seed last year. to now he's like, Oh, we're just going to, Oh, like Denny, Denny goes down. We're going to replace him with how Neto and we're going to, we're going to go like 17 and seven. And it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been decent for them, but ultimately I just think a guy of his size and his stature, like he's a regular season player for a reason. And this might come back to haunt me. Who knows? Maybe he has a game where he goes off from three and he, he just has a great, uh, a great game or maybe even has a decent series, but like, I just don't know how you could think that running a three guard lineup against a team as big as the Sixers could be effective. Like, I just, like, I know that, Westbrook and Beal can play a little bit larger than their than their size sometimes, but ultimately you're just going to get bludgeoned by by the size of the Sixers. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, Neto was a bench player for a reason. Like he's he he has his moments, and he did some good things for the Sixers at times last year. But like, th- there's a reason why Washington is the eight seed that really might've been like a nine or 10 seed. I can't even remember what they're actually, I know they finished as the eight seed, but they had to like make that run. So I just think ultimately they're just an unserious team. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. What, what are you like in terms of like defensive adjustments on Brad and, and, and Russell, what, what, what do you think they should do? Cause I, I I'm, I'm, I'm watching the game I actually texted PR about this. I was like, I need a copy of the game. Like, how can I get a copy of the game? Yeah. Yesterday? And they're like, well, actually, we don't have it. I was like, oh, shit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, I was like, you'd think Pete Sixers PR would have that. Um, it's <laughs> weird, but. Got to get YouTube TV, dude. Yeah, exactly right. Well, we pass blacks it out because it's a, because it's regionally. Oh, that's annoying. So I had to, like, go, like, look through the advanced stats clips that are, like, cut from, like, a six-second block of video. Right, 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 right. Um. But I liked one thing they did yesterday with 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 Beal, which was they they had they, they had uh, Matisse on him and then they iced him in the pick and roll. I don't yeah. know what that is, but I'll explain it for the listener. It was just that like basically the the ball handler's man pivots and basically blocks off the way of using the screen, forcing him to go towards the corner and basically funneling him into the big man at at, at the baseline. So it's almost like denying middle, but for the pick and roll. Um, and they did a really good job of that and. It ultimately was Beal couldn't get to the rim because Embiid was there. He kicked to Westbrook for a three. And I think uh, he actually got the offensive rebound and put it back in, but Embiid also was in foul trouble. He couldn't commit a foul, so he couldn't yeah. like, play him Yeah, hard. I know exactly which play you're talking about. Yeah, but I think anything where you can just get – I mean, because Embiid can actually credibly guard in space. He's not Gobert. He can guard in space. 
Um, and that's both that's both a shot at Gilbert, but also like a fact that he can't. Like, he can't <laughs> he's better. He's a, he's a little better at it now than he used to be. He's not he's not falling over on Steph Curry uh, crossovers as much as he used to. But yeah, definitely not the he. he I don't think either of them are are Bantam Adebayo or Draymond Green, but they're they're definitely. Uh, I would say that Embiid definitely has the edge on Rudy in in, in that department for sure. Absolutely. Um, and we'll talk about that game in a little bit, uh, but I was, I like that because like the, what, the one thing you want to do is you want to get Brad going to, going to his left just because he's more of a ready dominant player. And that's number one is an advantage in itself. And then number two, like you want to force you got any, anyone really to take those, those mid range pull-ups. Cause it's, even if he hits them at a high clip, you're still willing to let him settle for long twos and you are for him to like pull in the threes behind the screen. So, I, I mean, anything that just, gets Embiid there to sort of deny him the the the, the rim, but also keep him off the three-point line. Um I, I'm I'm okay with. I think the, the drop coverage stuff is a little bit too much. Like I, I the the drop coverage with Brett was drove me crazy. Yep. It, it was and and also you you have to adjust for the personnel that you're playing. Like you're talking about Bradley Beal who, you know, as as great of a player as 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 Russell Westbrook is, you would love for Russell Westbrook to be calling these pick and rolls and, and walking into uh, mid range shots. That's kind of part of the game plan: running drop coverage, making sure that Embiid isn't protecting the rim and and any guys that he might be able to kick it out to on the baseline. But at the same time, when it's Beal, I I think. It also depends on who you have on Beal because I trust Ben Simmons and Matisse Thibel to fight over screens if, if, if they have to. I think a big part of why the team really got destroyed last year by the Celtics was because when we were running that drop coverage and even when Brett was – when it was clearly not working and Embiid was clearly frustrated by it, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker were walking into wide-open mid-range looks and just knocking down every single one – because there was no one fighting over the screens at the yeah. time. You got to have was, one, you got to have one of those two, two things. Number one, like luck's on your side because the guys aren't making shots, but exactly. you had to fight through those screens, and they they yeah. they ran out of all. They were just they were like, all right, this guy is fucking yeah, and like that was. I mean, you know, Shake was a basically a rookie. Uh, he was getting killed on those screens a lot. He's he's gotten a little bit better as a defender, but like no one would think of him as as anywhere close to the level of defender that Simmons and Thibel are. So ultimately uh, I think I would just, I, I was fine with their game plan in, in game one. Um, Beal and Westbrook had to play 40 over 40 minutes each in order for Washington. What's that? Just keep it competitive. They had to play over 40 minutes each. Right, exactly. And then I, I, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but in the 27 minutes, I believe it was, that Embiid and Simmons were playing together, might have been less, they were like a plus 32 net rating per 100 possessions. Uh, it was really only because Embiid got into foul trouble that the it game... was a blowout, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, like, like anytime Embiid was on the floor, it, they, were, they were killing them. And then anytime Ben and Embiid were on the floor, they were dominating them. So... Ultimately, when it comes to these little decisions, adjustments, uh, I, I could live with a mid-range fest from Bradley Beal. I mean, he scored 60, 60 points on us earlier in the season, and it didn't matter. Um, but I, I'm 
I'm fine with everything that they did. I even thought Danny Green did a, did a very good job on Russell Westbrook. And uh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I'd oh. be fine with, I'd be fine with that. He's, he's not good at chasing guys. Like he's not at the age where he can chase guys around screens anymore. Like he's just not going to be when you have a guy that's as effective off ball as Bradley Beal. Like I want Simmons or Thibel on them. And I, I would be totally fine with the approach that they did. I don't think that Washington's going to have the continued success with it. And even if they do, we can just score on them at will. So. Yeah. Where are you on shake versus Tyrese? Cause I, I'm very much so like if I had to choose which one gets minutes in the rotation, I'm very much of like, I've seen enough of shake for this year. Let's, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of with you. Like I've been, I've been pro shake, but I just think ultimately that uh, I think that George Hill just brings you a lot of what shake brings you is what it comes down to. And like, I think that shake has had, he had a very rough first half yesterday defensively he was a a nightmare um and and the thing with him is like if you give shake the ability to kind of run off screens get downhill be you use him as more of like almost like a movement shooter or even just as a standstill spot up relocation guy like danny green i think he could be a lot more effective he's a very good shooter he can he can attack a closeout at least but he's shown that he cannot be trusted at creating offense. Like he just, he doesn't really have the ability. Like he has the length and the craftiness, but like he doesn't have the speed to blow by guys. He's not just consistently basically creating these advantage that other ball handlers on the team, including Tyrese Maxey have been able to create that the Sixers desperately need in their half court offense. Now, obviously yesterday, they scored a lot of points. The offense wasn't the problem, but at the same time, I just think that Maxi's skill set, like, and there are certain things that I still think that he, he has improved on throughout the season and will continue to improve on, but just to have someone that can put pressure on the rim, like him has the, that floater package. And then in addition to that is like a scrappy defender. Like he's off ball team defender. He's made some pretty rookie mistakes throughout the, throughout the season but shake is also making those mistakes now like it's not like shake is some stopper on defense so i think ultimately if you want someone that's going to bring that shot creation that has lacked so much from the sixers half court offense from the past few years especially when you don't have Embiid and ben on the floor that maxi really fits that so well and I know he's young and Doc doesn't like playing young guys and stuff, but there's an element to his game that the Sixers have been lacking. And they're like this, like shake shake skill set is more redundant yeah. with the guys that we have with Seth and George Hill. And even if you want to place Furk and spot minutes for shooting purposes, I just think, I think I would go with Maxi, but ultimately I think he's probably going to go with shake. And I think that, I think that Maxi will get those spot minutes that Furkin was supposed to get because Shake at least can can stay on the floor as a shooter. Yeah, and I'll tell you this: I, I think behind closed doors, Doc thinks Shake's going to be an All Star. I, I I I don't know where he sees it, but I that's something that that someone like whispered to me. I was like like they Doc loves Shake, loves him. Wow, that so, that Clippers game last year really really did it. <laughs> I, I don't know, like, there's something about Doc where, like, he, like, I think it was Mike Chidato from Twitter tweeted, like, uh, he's like, why did 
Doc have to coach Mike Scott two years ago for half a season? Like, he gets these <laughs> thoughts in his brain and he just can't shake them. Like, no yeah. pun intended, but like, yeah. shake obviously, like, I, I will say this much shake has a skill set and some of the numbers actually reflect a much better player than what we've seen at times this year like from a drives perspective like one of the key indicators that you look for in like future stars is like someone who dropped like a perfect example of this is like much better player than shake by the way but shea gil just alexander who he coached in la this year with with okc he had 25 drives a game now that's like crazy like that's a ton of drives oh, yeah. but he was incredibly efficient at scoring on those drives Ty, by the way Tyrese Maxey led rookies in scoring on drives this year he scored like seven I think it was like 71 percent of his drives and um it's gotta be like a, it's gotta be like a 90 something percentile he, uh he was no he was literally number one like if, yeah, if, if yeah. you like including Lamella like obviously Lamella Ball Tyrese Halliburton like these guys They've played more games. Anthony Edwards, they've played more games. They've gotten more drives. So they're not, their efficiency isn't going to be as high. But when Maxi does drive, he's one of the more efficient scorers in the league. So there's a little bit of that star, that star indicator that you see. But Shake early in the season, especially the first half, was like driving the ball 10 times a game and was scoring on like 57% of his drives. Like he was incredible. There was, it was basically everyone who was above him was like an all star. And then the one guy, every year that's in this category that isn't like Giannis or Bradley Beal was Eric Gordon. He's like the only one for some reason that is not like one of these also, but he's also a very good efficient scorer. Um, So ultimately my point with this is that like, I think that shake has some equity as a scorer, but the other parts of his game just aren't quite like he's not that great of a passer he doesn't see the court all that well. Like he, he doesn't play make that much. Like, no. like he, he is ultimately like what I've envisioned for him. Weirdly enough, even before we traded for, for George Hill, I said, like, I think that his ceiling as a player is like a George Hill type and just like a solid scorer, like can make the right plays, but like, isn't going to blow you away. Can like be like that steady hand, but like, I think a lot of it comes down to just like confidence and like teams like have just have so much film on him and like know exactly how to cover him now that he's not quite there. But by the way, George Hill peak George Hill was like a sub all star. So there at least is the idea there that I can yeah. see what, what doc is seeing, but like the reality is just not caught up to that by any means. Yeah. And I, and I think like, he's, he's not like, he's not like 20 young, 21. He's like, 24 well, yeah yeah so he, he's Devin he's Devin Booker's age which yeah, is you, you you who by the way is one day younger than me I think or like maybe a couple of days younger than me and Ben yeah. is exactly one day younger than me so I feel like I'm getting old by the by the minute <laughs> but, well don't, uh, don't 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 feel too bad sometimes I watch these games and I'm like man I'm old as fucking shit so <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um now I, I will say I'll tell you this I I do think like one of the subtle advantages that you might see like Tyrese play in a situation where you're like, well, you're like, wait a second, this game is way too close. This is not a favorable matchup. I think his, his center of gravity being lower is a massive, massive advantage for him uh, that shake doesn't have because shapes kind of high hipped. Um, and it just makes it harder for him to like get down and like in a stance and really like bite into a guy offensively. And I think that can be something that, that, that could be, 
useful in a playoff game. But I also don't think that they're going to like the docs and other suddenly like, Oh, I trust him now. We're going to, we're going to. Yeah. Him. Yeah. I, it, it, I've said it before, which is basically like, I see, I see Maxi as like the, the NOS button that you can hit to get to that extra gear. Like he's like the espresso shot that they used to use with like TJ McConnell to come off the bench yeah. essentially. And like thought, Thibault is kind of like the defensive version of this where like you're essentially playing him minutes to uh, cause chaos and, and basically get the offense moving in a way that it wasn't moving before. And Thibault being the defensive version of, of that when, when maybe guys are getting too, too many open looks and, and, and you just can't stop a certain guy. But I ultimately think that, that Maxi's like viability in the playoffs is going to come down to can he compete defensively and can he hit open threes? And, like, if he can prove that he can do that in these first two rounds, I think you're looking at a guy that, like, maybe deeper in the playoffs you could be seeing 10, 15, maybe even 20 minutes in in a game if someone's in foul trouble or something like that. But, but Doc's track record of playing rookies in playoffs is it's not great. I mean, it, it, it's few and far between. But the ones who he has played – Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Rajon Rondo, Kentucky point guards who, uh, you know, have been very impressive. <laughs> What's that? You're setting a theme here. <laughs> I'm trying to put it out into the universe so yeah. that maybe good vibes can continue to come back in our way. By the way, also drafted with the 21st overall pick, Rajon Rondo. So You know, you know Darren Morey's like funneling this podcast through his office right now as we speak. Yeah, he has it on speakers. He's holding it above his head like uh, John Cusack and say anything. Like yeah, outside like, Doc's window. Like knocking on the glass window. Doc, you got to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Bradley Beal proclaimed yesterday that this, this indeed was his house. And it got yes. Sixers fans so, so, somewhere – we're, we're infuriated by it because it was a disrespectful thing to say to them. <laughs> Others thought that it was a, a, a request for the trade. I'm curious. I joked about that, but I'm curious. Where are you on, on, on this whole trade request in the Bradley Beal immediate future? In, in the- we talked about this when you came on my podcast, like three months ago, I think two months ago, maybe it's all just bullshit. Like he doesn't want to leave. He, everything he's ever said has been like, I want to be loyal. I want to be Dame Lillard. I want to be Dirk Nowitzki. I want to be the guy that plays for one franchise. I want to bring this team to relevance, but, but ultimately like when it comes to those kind of things, one media is going to take any good young player, youngish, he's like 27 now, youngish player that uh, is in a small market and they're going to run with it. But two is like, I've seen this story before and Bradley Beal will not be a wizard in like five years. Like he just won't be like, they don't have the outlet in the same way that some other teams might've in the past to continue to get better. Like Daryl Morey being the general manager of the Houston Rockets when James Harden was in his prime, like he was an aggressive general manager that knew how to use assets, knew how to improve the team around him, knew he always had to have a second star with him. Like he knew and not, no disrespect to Russell Westbrook, even though eventually he did trade for Russell Westbrook. I don't think that that was necessarily his idea, but like the ideal second teammate that you would have with Bradley Beal or even James Harden would not be this version of Russell Westbrook. So I think it's bullshit. And I'm not like, I I like, I personally like like the shit talking that, that Beal was doing yesterday. Like I think it adds an element of fun to the game and like him and Embiid are cool. Like they both have the same shooting coach and like, I'm not 
too worried about it. I'd love to have him on the Sixers. I've said before, I think he would be a perfect complement to Joel Embiid. Uh, and I would pretty much trade anyone but Joel Embiid to get him just because I think that the Sixers would be a championship team with uh, a perimeter creator of, of Beals and scorer of Beals nature. But at the same time, like uh, he's, he's happy in Washington. Like, like I feel the same way about Dame. I'd yeah. love to have them, but like ultimately it's good for basketball. If yep. these guys are in small markets and they're loyal and all that stuff. But like the second that the team it's convenient for them to move on from you and you're not as good as you once were, they'll, you'll be gone. So. Yeah. I, and, and I, I think it'll especially happen because you'll sign an extension uh, while he's still in his prime. And then as soon as you get down like two years left on that extension, it's like, all right, time to cash that out. And, 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 you know, we'll, we'll even eat some of the money. We'll, you know, we'll, we're going to get you to do a contender and, you know, we're going to get some young picks back for you. Right. Um, it, I it, think that I actually think if, if the wizard's goal, which it doesn't seem to be a championship because yeah. their owner seems to be more of like the, we're in a small market, let's compete Orlando magic mindset until this yeah. year. If the Wizards' goal was to ultimately win a championship, they would be better off trading Bradley Beal right now because as good as Bradley Beal is, you're never going to win a title with Bradley Beal as your best player, and you have no other way to get a player that is better than Bradley Beal. So yeah. so, so basically, especially now that you want to be competitive and you want to be an eight seed, like, like you had your chance at the draft, you didn't hit on anyone that's like a super – and like I like some of their young players. Like I think Rui's solid. I think that – like uh, Denny could be good. Like, I think that they have some young talent, but like ultimately if their goal is a championship, they'd be better off trading Bradley Beal for those young players and picks and maybe trying to figure out a way off that Russell Westbrook deal so that they can, you know, build, build an actual contender. Yeah. I got to tell you, I was, I was distraught when Denny fractured his ankle, not just because it looked like it was a nasty injury. Number one, number, number one, I was very high on Denny. I would have taken him in top five. Yeah. And number two, as a member of the Jewish community, I want to see all my fellow Hebrews. <laughs> and I'm not even sure he's Jewish, but I do know he's Israeli. So I'm I was going to say no. I, me, I think he's. I think he might be Muslim, but he no. I think he might be Jewish. I can't remember, but that I, I I do know that he he's from Israel. Yes. So I mean, he doesn't have the fro like I have, but he does have like the straighter kind of hair. So I'm living vicariously through him. I think in some ways. Right. Right. And, uh, there there aren't a lot of Jewish players in the NBA, right? Omer Caspi was like, was like, was, 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 he was like the, we got to get a poster him and just put him on, <laughs> just, just put him on the wall. When I was in Israel when I was younger, he was like the most, mar- you would think he was like the, the, the second coming of, of, of Moses. It was, it was it, it, everywhere. You couldn't get anywhere without seeing Omer Caspi posters. But, That's uh, funny. I was, yeah. was going to say, I always, I thought that Jamal Murray was Jewish. I thought that he was, because uh, <laughs> I was like, I, for some reason, in my brain, I was like, Jamal Murray's Jewish, right? And then someone was like, no, he's not. And I was like, I have no <laughs> idea where that came from. But his last name is okay. Murray. And I was just like, I thought he might have been. <laughs> That's great. Well, the last one before I let you go. We do have uh, a series that I will also be paying close attention to tonight. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Miami Heat. Uh, game one was tremendous content. Awesome. Uh, yes, it was a tremendous competition. Um it looks like you also are not a, a big Miami Heat fan. 
oh no, I, oh, I, I despise them. <laughs> was literally, I, they are the bane of my existence. I cannot tell you how much uh, I, they are. Their fan base is the most obnoxious group of people I've ever met. Oh, I've ever I have so many blocked. Oh, they, they, I, I want to see the Bucks go down. To, the Bucks go up 2 0. So oh. bad. And I, I don't like Giannis either because I think he gets away with like the most ridiculous like calls ever. Like if you take, if people actually call travels, he's averaging 15 points a game because he's traveling. <laughs> all, all the other so I, I want to see that. I want to see the heat go down. But you can't, it, let me ask you this do you think that Sham, Shams was given bad information? Or was Jimmy Butler's agent just bullshitting? Because oh, come on, that's just, <laughs> that's just, like, like, dude, you can say all the shit. Like, Shams, Shams definitely is a little bit shady when it comes to these things. But like, ultimately, he's never lied about things. Like, like I know that a lot of people are fed up with him around the league, and like, players don't love him, and agents don't love him. But like, in the same way that Jimmy Butler's agent's job is to defend him from these kind of accusations, it's also Sham's job to report this. And I don't think that he would make up anything out of thin air just to cause some shit right before the playoffs. Like, this is who Jimmy Butler is. Like, yeah, this is not a, this is not a breaking yeah. story at all. No, yeah, he, like great player, great competitor. When things are going well, everyone loves him. Like it's awesome, all peach keen. And then the second things just start to go wrong, he's back on his bullshit. Like that's just who he is. And like if you signed him thinking you were getting someone else, then you're at fault. He's not at fault. Yeah, and I mean, and I will say this: like to be fair, he is a he's a he's a fabulous, fabulous player. Um, and he's a he's a dickhead. You don't have to you don't have to fucking censor anything. I well, hate that guy. Well, no, because the Heat, the Heat fan listen to this. They already have me on like, like they already have me on blast. The Heat fans. So <laughs> I, I, I gotta be fair to them, but I, well, I hold on, hold on. Can I just say one thing? Michael Jordan's like the greatest player of all time, if not the second greatest to LeBron James. No one would argue he's a great person. <laughs> like, he's... It's, a fair, it's a fair point, but Jordan never played for the Miami Heat. <laughs> True, it's a good point. Well, LeBron did, and they didn't even accept him in the same way that they accepted Jimmy. They're now like the the, the, the I'm seeing Heat fans that will they'll, they'll now like they'll now like play videos of like LeBron's failures or something like that. They'll be posting like, all these videos of like LeBron's like past failures. I'm like, you do realize that all of the championships that you gloat about, two like, six, like two thirds of them are a product of LeBron James coming to play for your, for your team. Like the biggest failure of LeBron's career. He was on the heat. <laughs> 2011, the finals, like, like that oh, was, man. that was a product of your culture. So yeah, exactly. you gotta, if you want to, if you want to own up to all the, I just think that team is just such full of boomer shit and like personal responsibility and accountability and all the stuff that I just absolutely hate about that generation of people and they've just they've made it so that and and the funniest part about it all to me is like as amazing as all that stuff has been for them and as good as Jimmy has been and all that stuff at the end of the day if you don't have one of the greatest players of all time you ain't winning a fucking championship so best of luck so who do you pick in that series oh I think the Bucks will win but I also think that um, I said the Bucks in six before. I think it will probably be Bucks in six, maybe Bucks in seven. Like I think that the way that Miami, Miami, like in the same way that the Sixers do with Giannis, they present like a pretty unique problem for him. Like their length, their size, the way that they just scheme. 
Like, I just think that Giannis is going to have a hard time in that series. And I think that ultimately it's going to come down to Middleton and, and Drew carrying them down the stretch. And I have confidence in those guys. They're both very good players, but like you needed overtime and a last second shot from Chris Middleton to beat Miami when, when Bam and Jimmy were playing like total shit. And that's not going to happen every game. But at the same time, Miami outscored them from three by 45 points, which happened either. Yeah. That's crazy. Like I, I, that, that I, I, I think both of those things will balance out and it will continue to be a great series. But I will say, I think that going into the series, I felt like in the back of my mind that Miami might actually win. And I think that they have a better chance of winning than the majority of people are making it out to be. Yeah. I, I think it's I, I think whoever wins tonight wins the series. I, I the way that like that 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 emotion from game one, like it's either gonna be a massive, massive just like a like a, 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 a stab wound to the heart for the heat if they lose tonight, or if the Bucks lose tonight, they the Miami is gonna be right back in their heads too, because they know that they eked out game one by the skin of their teeth and that they yes. if he come out guns blazing, the Bucks don't have a response. I think you call it there. I think that was a huge win for them just to get that because of that mental factor. But also I think Miami knows that game was a toss up and we can beat you still. So you could go both ways with it. You could say Milwaukee knows they're going to win, but now Miami, Miami as much shit as I give them for all of, all of the stuff that I hate about them. They're a very mentally tough team and in the playoffs that uh, that matters. Yeah. Tell it, tell me about your podcast. Tell the listener about, about, about the podcast. Sure. So I, I changed the name recently. Um, my original name for the podcast was find a topic when you came on, but uh, when you Google find a topic, the only thing that comes up is how to find a topic for your podcast. So really? that didn't work. Yeah. So that didn't work uh, for, for my SEO was not fantastic. So I changed the, the podcast to, you know, ball, uh, which okay. is a phrase that we all use very popularly in Philly and NBA Twitter. Um, it, basically, I, I mostly talk about the Sixers. Uh, I'll have people on to talk like playoff time, trade deadline time. I'll, I'll have people come on and talk about some other NBA stuff. Uh, occasionally, I'll dabble in the Eagles. I reviewed the new J. Cole album on a recent episode with a friend of mine who's a huge Knicks fan. So we talked Knicks and we did whatever. So the, the concept of the podcast is kind of open. But uh, for now, I'm mainly focused on like hip hop, uh, um, ba- NBA, basketball, like hip hop, cultural, like cool shit. So yeah, it's, it's been good. And you'll have to come back on again. That was a good episode. For sure. I don't listen to enough podcasts because I have to work eight hours a day plus then i i come to my second job after that but i do i do have yours in my rotation yours is a a very good one Uh, i appreciate that trill thanks so much for coming on man thanks for having me dude take care peace